couple of weeks ago, I spoke with Dr. Kayla Dykstra, that veterinarian friend from California, about the hoarseness of horses. And when I asked her what she loved about horses, she said four things. One, the curiosity and inquisitive nature of these creatures, their power and athleticism. Two, their trusting nature. And four, the pure joy of riding them. And when I asked for more on that last point, about the pure joy of riding them, she responded using language like freedom, partnership, and the sheer bliss, in her words, of running with four legs. And when I probed her more deeply about that moment and asked her to describe what that riding moment, if you can take yourself there into the saddle, felt like, she almost, before my eyes on a Zoom call, became a much younger girl again and said these words. It's hard to explain if you don't love and ride horses, but it's that feeling of knowing that they can go really fast or really slow and that they are very sure-footed. They can get you places and go way faster than you would ever be able to do on your own. It's just you and the horse and a goal. I'm a goal-oriented person, and it's like a partnership where you, you're in sync. The, the horse is essentially doing what you want it to do before you ask it. It's just this amazing teamwork and their ability to go from zero to galloping down a road instantly on four legs, way faster than I'd ever be able to run myself, like, is like an amazing feeling. Different than driving a car or a motorcycle where you're making 100% of the decisions all the time. It's definitely more of a partnership and teamwork because the animal is 1,000 to 1,500 pounds of pure muscle and could go right when you want to go left. And yet there is this give and take which enables you to accomplish the goal together. That's cool. And hearing her passion... I had all these spiritual thoughts and parallels running through my mind. What would it be like, God, to be in sync with you like a rider is with their horse? And what kind of more could my life travel into, journey into, be if I were in sync in those kinds of ways? And, and what would it be like, God, to have four legs and run? To, to go that fast with you. To feel in the most trusting place, galloping along how sure-footed you are, God, for, for all of my life. To trust in the partnership that you call me into with body, literally body, soul, and mind. And theologically, that is what human beings are made for, according to our Christian understanding of the world. A kind of moreness that being in the saddle doing extraordinary things, if you've been there, gives you a foretaste of. And so I probed even further with Kayla. So you're in that moment, and you're feeling all you're describing, and that makes you feel more, it makes you feel like you can take on anything, she said. A new challenge, jump a four-foot fence, chase that cow down, whatever you want to relate it to. 
It gives you the confidence when you're in sync together to say, we can totally do that. I got that. It's not a problem for me. And for me, it's the one place in the whole world where I can shut my brain off and just focus on what I'm doing in the here and now. Those are real horse words, here and now. No distractions, no clients, no stress, just me and the horse. And all I'm focusing on is what we're doing in that moment, not the millions of other things in my life I need to get done. And hearing the first part of what she just shared, uh, the psalmist's words came to mind, who writes in a poem to God, With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. And if you know your history and horses, how many wars have been won because of the power of the horse? How many troops have been overtaken because of horses? And how many barriers have been leapt over? Amazing creatures. And, and who do we thank for the fact of horses that they even exist? Such incredible athletes carried the world economy for centuries. We have horsepower in our cars <laughs> for a reason. Carried us. Carried people who ride dressage, or ride for work, or ride to race, or ride to places we normally couldn't go in ways we could never get there. At work and play. Who do we thank for the fact of a horse? God didn't have to make horses, yet God did. And God made so many breeds, I've learned, and kinds and colors and shapes and personalities and temperaments of horses, that all of this clearly is evidence that God loves, loves horses. Brilliant creatures... This is the, the theological foundation for talking about horses in church. Brilliant creatures born out of the imaginative creativity of God's mind. This is when we should all just look at a picture of a horse and go, whoa. Do you give the horse its strength, God asks Job, or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? Who sent this glory, his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand? Who divided the waters before them, God's people, to gain for himself everlasting renown? Who led them through the depths? Like a horse in open country, those people did not stumble. And if you've raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, the prophet asks, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan River? So the power and the sure-footedness of horses is a pointer to the power and sure-footedness of God. These Bible writers, this prophet and Job and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, 
they're making that connection for you, for us here today. They're saying, yeah, you can talk about horses in church because we've already talked about them in the stuff we've written in the Bible that you guys talk about all the time in church. They didn't say that last part. I'm <laughs> extrapolating. God is sure-footed. God knows how to move at speed. To God, rough terrain or mountainous ground is as flat to him. God's strength is so apparent and so present and so dependable that we, it can carry you into places where you don't have the strength to go. Overcome anything. Jump the wall against a troop. And not only are horses sure-footed and, and powerful, um, and I was talking to Ryan about it before, I thought that's what we'd preach on and the science of horses more, but then the sermon moved in this other direction uh, that focused much more on the relationality of horses, which young guy without a big grew up in Toronto, right? Not a big relationship in history with horses. Um, started to step into this beautiful relationality more. So talking with Ryan Fleetwood in his pasture in the middle of a, horde, a herd of horses uh, two weeks ago, um, it was a hugely relational moment for me. Uh, first, watching this breeder whose family for generations had been on that land breeding horses, right? Talk about Alberta, right? Talk about life. And hearing in his words and his tone a deep and clear love for these animals that he is raising and stewarding and tending to, in my mind already, in a very godlike way. He, he knew their language, um, picked up everything that was going on in the herd as we're having a theological conversation, a horse conversation. Their ears are moving. What is that? Oh, look at her. She's turning her ear back as I stand right to her back end just to make sure she's trusting me. I'm trusting her. She knows I'm here. He just knew how to communicate. You know, the big Percheron's movements, that that. that horse said he wasn't too worried was going to knock me over, but might knock another horse over that would knock me over, as they're all kind of jostling, jostling for the stallion who's kind of moving around the herd. And, and the gentle tone with which he spoke to the animals and introduced the animals by name. Knows the name of every star, star God does, knows the name of every horse God does knows the name of Ryan's horses, God does. So gentle, except when they started bumping up against his new truck. Then he was a little less gentle. <laughs> or Dr. Siv Watkins, that microbiologist, who in everything she wrote to me, it was just dripping with humility. And not in a horse-worshipping uh, kind of way, but in a an awareness of the glory of this animal that she loves so much and rides so much. So much respect. What do you love about horses, Siv? I love the nature of a relationship I can develop with a horse. They know when you know, 
and they know when you don't know. And non-horse people are going, okay, and horse people are going, yep. They know when a human person is not sat squarely in the moment. God knows when a human person is not sat squarely in the moment. Ryan knew as we were driving into the pasture. I didn't know that's where we were talking. I thought we talked in the kitchen over a coffee. As we drove into the pasture and got amongst the herd, knew when a person was not fully set squarely in the moment. And so he paused the truck, and I said, can we get out? Oh, we'll wait a few minutes for the horses to settle. And I asked him this morning, you were waiting for me to settle, weren't you? And he goes, yeah, I was waiting for you to settle. So Siv's right. All week long, I've been reading Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. God knows you, knows when you're not sitting squarely in the saddle in life. And for Dr. Watkins, a person with autism, how could she not love the relationality of horses in, in maybe a more unique way than those of us without, without op, uh, autism would. Relating to an animal that is fully present, that says what it means, that is what it is, that isn't duplicitous, that is straight up, face forward, for a person who reads the world that way. And at one point in our conversation, she talked about the physical act of riding and how that, in a very beautiful way, helps a person with autism. She said, I ride predominantly out in the desert of New Mexico at speed over rough terrain. It's my responsibility to not get in the way of my horse's body when we're doing that, which requi requires balance and strength. And this has certainly led to my becoming more in my physical self, more embodied, which is also highly valuable for an autistic person. And I read that and I go, thanks God for her and, you know, uh, struggling, I guess, through a lot of life, trying to figure out how to be in this world when you engage the world differently. Like who know, knew that falling in love with a horse and then riding horses and then coming to a point later on in life where you realize that the embodiment is, is a healing balm for your life. Who knew? Who Who knew? And Kayla, already you've heard, right? Since a little girl, and she started jumping horses and dressage and all kinds of things. So much in love. I'm going to become a vet. Hardest thing in the world to do in Alberta to get in. And she did it, and now she's doing it. Helping horses that she loves like God flourish. All three people, from different angles and different ways, loving these animals and the relationality of horses. 
And each of them, and I tried this line on all of them, and they all went, eh. Uh, each of them knows how to speak equus. And they all went, eh, yeah, okay. Like, Ryan was polite, and Siv just didn't respond, and Kayla goes, well, she chuckled. And then she said this, I don't really call it a language, but you kind of need to speak their language. The way I look at it, it's not their job to speak human. It's our job to read them and understand them and work with them in a way that they understand. We need to be able to meet them where they are and teach them, show them via a language they understand. And whatever you call it, horse people know how to do that. They are made in the image of a God who knows how to care for horses in the most effective and communicative way. In, in one of his writings, St. Augustine spoke of how God stoops to our ears, the ears of humanity, so that we can hear. God, in the Christian story, took on a body and a face and a tongue so that facial expressions and body language and words could be spoken so that we could understand. God stooped to us through the incarnation. And what these three horse people, my new friends, have taught me, what these three made in the image of God horse people have taught me, what these three made in the image of God human beings, people, have taught me is that we are most human, we truly are most human when we operate in ways that submit to others and stoop down, kneel down to where they're at in their abilities, their disabilities, wherever they're at, who are willing to learn the language for their sakes, and spend the time and come to their place and honor them, honor the other. This is where life is found. And it's not a weak or insipid kind of submission, but it is a godlike, selfless, willing, and wholly empowered way of being. So I said to Kayla, okay, it's not making you less to stoop down to the horse's level and language when you do what you do to meet them where they're at. What, what is it making you in that place? And as she responded, even before she said the words, I started to hear or anticipate echoes of a godlike heart in her response to horses, pointers to God's response to, to us. I think it's making me a better listener, she said. Does relating to you make God a better listener? How brilliant. <laughs> to be able to read them and understand where they are at, what they need and what they're asking. They ask a million questions if you pay attention. And you need to give them the answer that they need for them to do what you need them to do. 
In the veterinary world, I do a lot of mean things to horses, not intentionally, but I poke them with needles and put tubes down their noses, and it's all in order to help them. Why the struggles, Lord? Why the pain? Why is that happening to me in my life? It's all in order to help them, but they don't know that. And so making sure that all the little things that I do to help them, that they understand as best they can, whether it's giving them a scratch in their happy place, before giving them a needle or putting them in a position where they don't feel cornered, or trying to work with them to get the best out of them and make everything as easy as possible, that is what I most commonly do day to day. That is what tending to horses in her godlike way is making her to be. Again, our story, right? God came to us in Christ to better read the situation and understand in every way what it means to be a human being and to struggle through life and to experience the joy of life. To understand where we're at, like how a vet understands where a horse is at or a breeder understands where a horse is at or a trainer or a rider. Not to hurt you, not to corner you, you. And maybe churches have cornered you or faith leaders have hurt you. But that, they were misrepresenting in that moment. This God that we talk about here. God came to work with us and get the best out of us. Like a, like a vet loves horses, God loves you. <laughs> like a rider submits to the ways of a horse galloping along, God submitted in a very real way, put God's godness aside and power aside to be with you. Like a horse person knows horses, God knows you. So yesterday, if you didn't read it, I wrote an article in the Herald about some other stuff around all this horseness and the theology of it, but ended that article, uh, started it and ended it with talking about a holy moment that I experienced on that man's property, uh, Fleetwood Farms, a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to tell you a bit more about what happened there. So we get there the, in the pickup out into the middle of the horde, and we get out. And I'm a little nervous, and, uh, and the introduction start. You know, Ryan says, reach out your hand um, to this big horse. And I reach out my hand, and she smells my hand. And it's like making an introduction. And so we made an introduction. And now you can scratch her. So I'm sort of scratching up here on the horse. And he goes, no, right there on the neck, that, that vein groove, scratch there. And scratch harder. And sure enough, the horse is starting to push back a little bit, and we're making this beautiful connection. Then he introduces me to all the horses, and we're talking a bit more, and then he says, this is Ashley, uh, a gray mare, and she is the sweetest, in his words, the sweetest horse. And so, sure enough, Ashley lived up to uh, who she was, and I started scratching. I already knew I was an expert with horses, where to scratch, and what to do. <laughs> 
And we're talking away, and so I guess I stopped scratching, and we were talking about something, and then all of a sudden Ashley does this, boom, with her head, and knocks me a little bit and says, hey, I'm still here. <laughs> and I turned to Ryan, I looked at Ashley, and I scratched her, and I turned to Ryan and I said, I just had a moment with a horse. And I didn't realize how important that was until I wrote the article for the paper and remembered when I was six or seven and my uncle put me on a racehorse at a racetrack and they started trotting this thing and I was petrified that this was a bit of therapy for me. And Ashley was being redemptive toward me. God through a horse was bringing a little healing to a scared of horses little boy. So it was a moment. Poor Ryan comes in this morning. I knew he might visit. I didn't know for sure. I gave him a hug. It's been a moment for me because I feel like we're good now, me and horses. Look out. Um, but it was redemptive in a very powerful and personal way. It was like all of the stuff I'd been studying about equine evolution and history and anatomy and psychology and theology, all of that held by God, the entire moment of, of that place on that day beneath a blue Alberta sky, all things there held together in Christ, it all came and nudged me in that moment. And God was with us. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then one other follow-up moment to that moment. Ryan says, I want to show you a sacred place. And so we move to a, the far end of the pasture overlooking the beautiful Travers Reservoir. And Ryan told me the story of that place and his mom and his family um, and, and, and echoed, as he had several times already, how fully blessed and real and alive he felt his life was living in a place like this. And there I realized that him being fully himself, made in the image of God, caring for horses the way he does, must surely enable these horses to thrive and to find their being and to find their life and to live a full life in a way that only him being fully him would have enough room and space through which God would move to care for these beautiful creatures. And I thought, this is life, God. To be like that toward another. Your, your partner, your parent, your friend, your co-worker, your, your horse. This is your life, God. Alive in this place. Coming to us, bearing our burdens, giving us life. A life we could have never imagined. And to think, it struck me this morning, that that gives you life, God, to do that. Like it gives you life. Like it gives you life when you're riding. That it gives God life to give us life. What a compelling thought there in a very sacred place beneath God's good, beautiful, glorious Alberta sky. Life as it's meant to be. That's what we're trying to 
find groping around in the dark in this church Sunday after Sunday and whenever we meet and talk. Like, could it be that that's the journey <laughs> for you, for me, for us? Like riding a horse at full gallop on the roughest of terrains and fearless. Let's pray. What an image, God. A horse person or not, <laughs> we've seen it, we've watched it, we've felt it. You've reached into our lives, you've given us glimpses of glory in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places, through all kinds of people and experiences, through our work, through nature, through human nature, through all the goodness that fills the cosmos. We, we've had those moments. We've, we've tasted it, glimpsed it. You, pull, you pulled the veil back just a bit and we saw glory. And then behind that glory, just a glimpse of your face. So help us continue on, on this trail you have us, on this journey you're calling us into. Carry us when we need to be carried. Help us to be to you as you are to us. To love as you love us. To serve as you've served us. To be the church. To be uh, a follower of Jesus that operates in Jesus-like ways in your world. So hear our voice, our cry out to you, our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.